welcome to episode 14 of the Intersections on the Spectrum podcast. The Intersections on the Spectrum podcast is the brainchild of Doug Fletcher and Kelly Braun Johnson, created to discuss intersectional issues within the autistic community and give visibility to commonly marginalized, repressed, underrepresented, or erased identities and issues. We aim to introduce you to the people and stories you didn't know about but needed to hear and hope that by seeing yourself represented in the community allows you to feel seen. Today's guest is Dr. Daniel Leong. Daniel is currently serving the autistic community through the Autism Initiatives Malaysia, a collaboration between parents, service providers, demians, uh, self-advocates, which focuses on supporting autistic adults. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me, Doug, Kelly. Wanted to uh, start out, and, as we do with all of our guests, and learn what are the uh, identities that best describe you? I'm Daniel from Malaysia, and yes, I'm autistic. Only knew that when I was 31, and uh, I actually started out not speaking, but... I'm not sure. Is that relevant to the question you're asking? Sorry? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. I actually started out not speaking, but 40 years ago, nobody had heard of autism. So I went through life without the diagnosis until until my mom started talking to people who had children. And she said, uh, who had autistic children, young adults. And, they, and she started to realize, oh, so that's what it was. That's why... It, you see, my mom had to quit her job to teach me to speak herself. So and there was a lot of issues. There were there were plenty of issues along the way, but but I only but I only found out and found I only found out much later in life. Very cool. I got diagnosed at thirty two, so very Whoa. very similar. And I I didn't speak very early or very easily, so I actually want to speak a bit later. Um, but yeah, so very very similar. So, so Daniel, you were the first person, or you are the first person, sorry, <laughs> that we've interviewed who's a member of Mensa, the largest and oldest uh, IQ society in the world. What has that experience been like for you? Honestly, I'm, firstly, it's not that all, uh, okay, there's only two, uh, the requirements to enter Mensa is your the top 2% highest IQ. So, okay, so it's, but I'm not the only one. I think, I, I, if I recall correctly, I just barely scraped in. Whereas, a, whereas a, I, the cutoff point is something like 132 or something like that. I got 100, something like 133 <laughs> or something. <laughs> but a friend of mine, uh, he scored, you know, they used this IQ test to get, to get in and they got, and he scored the maximum possible he's also autistic so i'm not the only autistic member of mensa no but you're the only one that we've interviewed you're the only uh, you're the only person that we've interviewed (laughs) that is part of mensa well i'm not as brilliant as my 180 iq i can't touch that honestly because of my involvement with the local with aim well i knew i was i was a member of mensa before i was uh as diagnosed, but because but because of my current uh, obligations to the autistic community, I'm not able to be so active with Mensa. Although I check them out now and then uh, to see if there's anyone and with autism there who is looking for supports or parents with children are looking for supports. I don't. 
my focus is really to help is to support the autism community mostly. But if you ask about what my experience, so if you ask what my experience with them is, I've just, I have joined in a few activities of this when I was young. Uh, the different the different Mensa societies and different uh, have different levels of activity in different countries. But I can tell you that I think that uh, my my parents did figure out that I was intelligent long before I was autistic, and that helped to and that helped to make and that made it more difficult to detect the autism. My mom didn't bother. Case in point, I only started talking when I was four. My mom even had to quit her job to teach me herself. She was an English teacher, but she still wasn't worried because I made these wonderful Lego things. She said, "No problem. He's intelligent." Not knowing what ride she was, uh, she and I were in for along the way. That so intelligence does because I'm intelligent, and when I started speaking, I could speak well. I could speak very well. These sort of things help. Uh, these sort of things make it more difficult to detect the autism. But you're so smart. How can you be autistic? I had I had that same experience as well. So I'm. My sister is a genius, so my sister qualified for Mensa but chose not to join. I'm borderline genius, and my my son is also borderline genius. So we're not quite the cutoff for Mensa, but we're just about almost there. But and that's it. I think that a lot of it is my part of my late diagnosis is because I had that compensatory compensatory skills or intelligence. So again, it's like, well, how can you be so smart and then make a mistake like this? How can you be so smart and then? And it's really hard. So um, it's it's quite hard to get proper diagnosis. I think people don't quite understand the nuances of, of autism, and so yeah, it's very similar. And in us. our cases, we even had the speech delay. What? How much more difficult is it without the, these clear indications like the speech delay? Exactly. And that's why we only ended up being diagnosed when we were in our thirties. Daniel, here in North America. Um, diagnosis of adults is not um, outstanding let's just put it that way what what's what's the like diagnosis um, process like in your country oh my goodness don't get me started this is a worldwide <laughs> problem correct this is this yeah. isn't just an, if look if it's no good if it's if there's limited avenue uh, to get a diagnosis for adults adults who have low support needs in America, you can be sure it's much more difficult. It's much more difficult in Malaysia. It absolutely is. In the first place, oh my goodness, uh, most people don't aren't trained with the tools, even people who should be, the clinical pediatricians. They are better, even detecting children in autism, they are, they are a lot better at that nowadays. But even that, but even they are, they are a bit better with children. Then that's, but even that, but even that is quite limited over here. So I've got this rather short list of I think maintain this list of diagnoses. So when parents or people are looking for uh, are saying, hey, I think I have autism, I make them do the screening test first, and if they and if they score well on the screening test, they say, okay, now the screen, now you there's grounds for uh, with this results of the screening test there is grounds for you to seek a formal diagnosis but good luck <laughs> and give them the possible people with with intersections on the spectrum we're we're interest, very interested to learn about kind of the intersection of 
autism and all the different cultures throughout the world. So living in Malaysia, what would you say are the current realities for autistic adults and, and children okay. there? I think some of it. In the first place, there is uh, services are very scarce. Services is very scarce. We've got some uh, NGO organizations which are helping, which are helping out, uh, such as National Autistic Society of Malaysia, NASOM, or and Malaysian Care, to name a few. But I think this is true worldwide as well. The lion's share of the of the intervention focus is on young children, as well as young children with moderate to higher support needs. So the children with lower support needs, which uh, what would have been called Asperger's or Asperger's previously, will completely, uh, the doctors will tell, the, our, the doctor, even the, our doctors as, as will tell the parents, don't worry, go, uh, it, uh, they'll grow out of it. And they never do. <laughs> That's one thing. There's also the some cultural issues like when I used to work back at the early intervention center. We are we tend to be the last place the parents will bring their children to. They will, the parents will first bring their children to say the temple because oh, we think he's got monkey spirit possession, or uh, or some bring it to the local what's the word for momo? How do I translate the word momo? Which doctor? No, that's not quite the right oh, like, word. Like a healer? Kind of like a spiritual healer? Ah, uh, yeah. Except, um, this is the Malay version. Uh, they will use the... It's kind of used tradition, old traditions, which have been... Got some Quranic, Islamic verses thrown in as well. As well as you've got people who... And you have some... Tradition, uh, some tra cultural beliefs which are passed down. Like uh, I'm not I described to me things like Turun. So we've got so these things complicated. Uh, these things complicate getting uh, uh, helping the parents find the help they need, as well as well as helping the parents find the help they need. And there is a growing anti-vaccine movement. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to report in Malaysia as well. Which has caused uh, some, uh, which has caused some deaths from, because people are not getting vaccinated from diphtheria. Wow, I didn't know that. Especially because for for me as a traveler, I need to have those vaccines usually to travel. So it's it's yeah, that's wild. Okay, so in in two thousand nineteen, you participated in the Life After Death Autism Forum, which was the first mm -hmm. autistic led autism event in Singapore. The forum was created support, to support autistics to continue to thrive long after their caregivers have passed on. What suggestions do you have for autistics in preparing for that time in their lives? I'd recommend you find support systems to help you. It can be peers, it can be a peer group, it can be uh, mentors, for, uh, for example. You need to find people who you can trust to support you because we have our different strengths as well as our weaknesses there are some areas which we need some areas which we are strong in and some areas which we need to accept that we might need some supports in find those supports to help you to live uh, to, to help you to, to live 
it independent, uh, as independently as possible. Well, that's easier said than done in Malaysia, actually, although I said that. <laughs> I like the idea of the community helping each other, right? Sharing skills. If somebody has a strength in one thing, the other one can share from that. I think it's important to recognize both and try to build and uh, try to build on your strengths and work around your weaknesses. I, uh, if you can overcome your weaknesses, that's great. But some, but realistically, some of us we have some things we're good at and some things we're not so good at, and it's okay to lean on to lean on the supports of those around or the things we are not so good at. Uh, not so good at. It's more idea. Uh, this may come into play when for those of us who need, uh, for those who are, for those of us who are looking for employment, jobs that can come for job coaching, which unfortunately in my country is very scarce. Some of us might need realistic. Some of some of us might need uh, to live independently. We might need a assisted living co uh, assisted living. This is some things you should discuss with uh, with your with your with the people who are currently with you. And you should take a, you should take an interest in, and you should definitely take an interest in this as well. Following up on that, is there are there are institutions common? So are artistic people commonly institutionalized in Malaysia, or is there more of a community living kind of uh, arrangement? Hmm, that's a good question. Okay, in Malaysia, we have we do have institutions for people with very high support needs. They essentially act as dumping dumping grounds from the families. But they are run by very loving people who are who are very committed and who are very committed and to but sometimes but they are they tend to they tend to they may be catering for the most for the people who have who have the highest support needs. So who well, understandably, the families are, are overwhelmed, and are, the families themselves are overwhelmed. But for as for the when you move up the scale, it's a bit different. When you when you get because it's so it's expensive. That's the thing. So so most families try to support their children with themselves or with their or with to their relatives or they are hoping that their 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 other the the brothers and sisters will do it and the brothers and sisters run away saying no 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 i'm not going to do it <laughs> so, but when you move on to folks with uh, low support needs the support is almost non-existent Daniel, do you have a sense of what the living conditions are like in those institutions? Because, you know, here in North America, um, while I think things have gotten better, you know, over the over the years and over the decades, there have been some really terrible situations within these institutions. I've seen pictures of what happens in, 19, in America in the 1950s. Okay, but I'm... Sorry to report. I would first say that it's variable. There's a that it's not always the same, but there has been instances where came up in the papers. You see, uh, what was this? Ten years ago, twenty years ago, they were put in cages and you know they are locked down to the to their beds and they and they bathe them by spraying them down. Armed with the hose. To understand, these are 
the, the people hired in some of these government uh, 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 in some of these facilities they have very little training and they are just there to do their job essentially you know i've been hired to do this job i have no idea how to do it i just do it the best i can and oh my god how do i do this the, 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 i have no control over this situation i'm going to put uh, all i can do is i can put them in cages and, and chain them up because that's all that's all we got the resources uh, that's uh, that's all we got the resources for we don't know what else to do i hope that, case, that after that case came out in the papers everybody uh, the, the all the rest didn't do that anymore but you know that still happens too that happens in otherwise i would say that so i'm in canada and i'm in quebec specifically because each province does things differently uh, but i think we have more group homes more uh, is more common about 10 or 15 years ago i don't quite remember now there was a whole movement to basically empty out our institutions and so the only people that were left were really the most um, severely or dangerous people and it sent a whole bunch of uh, disabled people into the streets basically they became homeless but if you're under 18 you end up usually in some sort of group home situation so it's not quite a foster home but you're living in a group with like five six other um, children with different needs and there's people that will will, will take care of you but I, I don't know if there's an ideal you know I, I would rather see some sort of community living again we were talking about sharing skills or being in a shared environment so you could have uh, your private apartment but if you need help with food somebody will come and feed you or help you bathe or something like that um, there has to be a way to do it with dignity and respect but yeah we're, we're still quite far from that there are a few programs not uh, not here but reported i don't know about canada but uh, i'm aware of a couple of programs such as cal and whatnot but Honestly, um, but I haven't been looking at it so uh, uh, so intently because most of my peer group, my community, in my in my current peer group, have low support needs, and they tend to either live, uh, they tend, and it's very common to to live in a culture. It's very common to live with your family until you get married, and most of us don't marry, so. We just keep on staying with our parents, and that's considered acceptable because you know we didn't, we don't have a, a children, or, uh, we don't have a wife, uh, uh, spouse of a spouse yet. Daniel, you mentioned earlier uh, about peer support groups, and uh, currently you're part of Autism Initiatives Malaysia, which is a peer support group for autistics. What have you seen um, as part of the benefits of this peer support? We were quite a bit more active before the pandemic. We used to meet, we used to have in-person meetups back then. The pandemic hit us pretty hard and we're pretty new. So for us, the, but, but we are getting along. Uh, as to the benefits, aside, one is the emotional support. We are learning to, to, be, to be friends with each other and to emotionally support with each other, to form friendships. There are some of the members who have, uh, have, sorry to say, never had friends in their lives. That's kind of common. And they've met, not all, but some of them have managed to find, uh, have managed to find their own little clique and find a fund which, which they can do. They meet each other through the group. And after that, they can, and from there, they, and from there, they, ha 
piece together. And I'm quite happy. And I'm always happy for, for and I'm quite happy for that too. There's also the networking aspect. So looking for, because some, those of us who have access to service, uh, who have, have access, uh, looking for services, we can help each other find, we can help each other find services that we, that we need. That's mostly me doing it though. <laughs> there's, so there's some sharing of experiences to share, uh, sharing of knowledge, because we do have, although we are focused now, AIM used to be, uh, AIM used to, has moved onto the, uh, is now focusing on the peer support on platform. It used to be something uh, AIM used to, the organization, uh, the small team I'm working with you moved from a different platform and is now focusing on the peer support group, which is called AIM High. We had, we, that's all we had, that's all we had, that's all we had the manpower for because we're such a new organization, we are such a new team and we have hardly any manpower. So we do run webinars sometimes, as well as we. And recently, I've gone. Recently, I've been in clamoring and quickly finding people to talk to my members about online safety and sexual harassment because that has become an issue. In, that's an issue everywhere, but it's become an issue as well. So our members know how to protect themselves since they are vulnerable population, and some of them also. Unfortunately, they also need some guidance how not to become harassers themselves. That's that's amazing work you're doing, Daniel. Um, I can share with you if you like after, because I helped create a, a, a cybersecurity program for autistic people. It's free and available on the web, so I can send that to you after um, if you want to share that with your members. Wow, thanks. I I'll appreciate the offer, Kelly. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, you know, it came out of this need where we realized that they're, like you said, a vulnerable population, sometimes kind of socially naive. And, you know, I've been told stories and, and, and heard from people, you know, who said that they were asked to chat with, a, you know, a pretty woman, and then he kind of went into the room with her, and then she tried to get him, you know, to give money and things like that. And he felt very, you know, he was very embarrassed and very, and very scared. You know, he thought maybe she would come and find him. And things like that that happen all the time for completely innocent reasons and just not knowing. And so talking about it, getting the information out, trying to keep people safe is really, it's really important to me. I can share that with everybody, all the listeners too, because it's free. Like I said, it's free, it's available on the web, it's in English, it's in French, it's in American Sign Language. We need, we need the information out there. So all this work you're doing, Daniel, so what kind of advice could you give to anybody who's interested in starting their own peer support group? Oh my goodness, don't try and do it alone. <laughs> For heaven's sakes, don't try to do it alone. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> because, you see, because the support, the, because the peer group, try to have a, um, firstly, the, firstly, there's way a lot of work because you're going to have, you're going to be trying to support people who have a lot of needs and their needs are not being met and you yourself cannot meet their need, all their needs. Because, uh, let me, let's be honest, uh, I don't, I think this is the case, in, I don't think this is just a case in Malaysia, but most of the members of our peer group, they have a lot of needs which are not being met. It's just part of this, it's just part of, of our reality right now. There's it's just services that aren't there. So because of, so, so because there's so little, so little of our needs being met, a lot of your members still have a lot of issues which they're carrying, which I mean like, 
your peers are, and sometimes there'll be disagreements or misunderstandings. As with any peer group, there's a, there's a need to moderate and to, there's a need to learn how to, how to, uh, there's a, to, uh, I was going to say put out fires, but I'm trying to, uh, how do I put this? Uh, de-escalate. De-escalate, thank you. De-escalate uh, disagreements. There's a, there's a need to learn. There's quite a few skills involved, learning how to de-escalate situations. Some of, uh, some of the members will, may have limited social stamina, so they may need to get, make friends. They need activity rather than just conversation. That's one tactic which is hell of a difficult during the pandemic, wait until after the pandemic. So those could be activities like games or basketball or exercise, something like that. Once again, re I just reiterate, don't try to do it with yourself, all by yourself. Especially if you're like me and you have low, low, uh, low social stamina, because I tried to, get the, uh, tried to run a, a game of Scriblio for the gang after about one uh, after. After one and uh, after forty five minutes, it's already I got starting to get. <laughs> <laughs> Do find try to find networking is important to find the team to, to find the team of people that help you to do things. Look, I, even I've got a team of people uh, because I was called in by uh, someone else. Never mind about that. Even I've got a team of people who are helping me out, this team of, of some pro professionals who are helping out pro bono. And of course, there's limits to how much, how much volunteer work they can do for you. But even then, it's, even then, it's a, it's a hell of a lot. It can be a hell of a lot of work unless you've got a lot. For example, there's another, there's another peer group uh, which is church based, and they've got a lot of, and they have access to a lot of church volunteers. So, if you are connected to another community, like the church community, for example, that can be an avenue to find the to find the volunteers and the pure manpower you need to help you run the activities and to help plan things and to make things work. I'm an atheist myself, so that doesn't work for me. So I have to, so I have to rely to pay on other, so I have to rely pay on other, another team. Yeah, I found that too. So I, I moderate a large group. It's an online group on Facebook. It's like a thousand of us across Canada. And, and that is always, um, but when it comes to like physically getting people out to things, I find autistic people, we call it, you know, we have the expression, it's like herding cats. Cats are all running in 500 different directions and you're trying to, to herd them and get them in one place. They're come, come. <laughs> and I one thing we're doing is we are trying to, we are trying to have smaller focus groups because some of us we interact better with fewer people so we've got the women's we're not that big a group in the first place but uh we've got the women's support group with uh, the women's support group is going quite well there's then another, another group of our members who form their own inner circle as well as now us trying to start up the men's support group to, uh, men's support group it's something like how the church how the church sometimes runs cell groups a more focused, uh, personal touch. Touch. That's that's. I think Grasp from America has used uh, used to use some the same that, that formula as well. Yeah. Um. And I find like you said too when you mentioned that kind of 
coming at it from a trauma-informed perspective, understanding that we have a lot of needs that aren't being met in society that should be met, but they're not being met. And, you know, realizing everybody has their baggage and their trauma from our own backgrounds. And especially with a peer group, if you've had bad experiences with friendships before, it can be very difficult to trust and to to know what to do because you're scared you're going to do something wrong. Anyway, there's so many layers to it. I understand. I understand what you're saying. So, but good job with that, that work. It's important. Thanks. Uh, we're trying our best. The pandemic really hit this hard, honestly. So, so here on um, Intersection of the Spectrum, we try to share stories that may not often be as commonly heard on podcasts. So what what do you think would be uh, important stories for me and Kelly to highlight as we move forward with intersections on the spectrum? Oh, gosh. In a country like Malaysia, we're actually, there's actually uh, aware, okay, maybe not in the most rural areas, but there's actually a fair decent amount of awareness as of what autism is being a People are starting to find out what it is, but there is, but we're at this in countries like mine, we're at the stage where people have heard of autism, but they don't understand it and they accept it and they, they are definitely not prepared to accept it. There's no, there's almost no inclusive schooling in Malaysia, for instance. So, uh, and countries like mine, in we are moving uh, where the services available are so scarce. The people that it's community based, uh, community based support systems um, are starting to spring up. Perhaps sometimes it's from the parents, sometimes, sometimes and in our case, it's autistic led itself. I, uh, I think there is a need to build, to, to build up leaders like Australia has its ICANN program, which often runs mentorship to train in leaders in, the, in their autistic community. I wish we were at that stage where we can actually train up our leaders. The, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, the, uh, the, in countries like mine, the, uh, with how scarce resources and uh, services are, there's, there's just so many needs not being met. and. We are doing our best. Uh, we are doing our best, little bit here and there, to try and bring to try and meet those need, and try and bring and meet those needs of those who uh, meet those needs through through our own com- through our own community. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what the story you're looking for, Doug. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. You um, we actually got your name from Don Joy, so thank her for putting us in contact as well because. Uh, you know, again, Doug and I are in North America and hearing from the other side of the world and more stories like that is so important to us just to give people perspective. Like, you you know, you even started out with saying, you know, this is a worldwide a worldwide issue for sure. Um, but understanding different people's perspectives and, and what kind of differences that they're making in, in different parts of the world. Um, I think those kind of stories are really valuable to us. And I think, you know, what you said, Daniel, like, all across the world to kind of to Kelly's point, we need a lot more education and acceptance. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've been to, I, uh, when you're, oh, well, I'm not sure what I should say, seeing how we're nearing the end. Uh, but what I wanted to say is that some, and 
for example, we are pushing, one of the things we're trying to push for is supports in the universities. Is because, because, so universities are starting to realize, oh, there's people like, uh, there's people so, uh, like Daniel who are actually, who are edu educable. Oh gosh, I hate that word. <laughs> There's a there's this whole there's this whole there's this actual act in Malaysia this the uh, education act in Malaysia from nineteen ninety six where children only uh, get an education if they are educable if they are not educable instead of coming under the education ministry they are instead shifted to the uh, welfare department. Educable usually translates as toilet trained and able to and able to self feed. So if they are not toilet trained, as soon as they hit seven years old, you don't even get to go to special school. Wow. Well, of course, as the minister tell, as the person from the ministry tells us, because our teachers are not nurses, we can't wipe your butt after you. That's what they told us. These are the types of things we're fighting. We're, 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 we've got our lawyers group and we're, when we're talking to ministers and we're trying to change laws and things like that. We're still at that stage. You guys have, you guys have gone past that stage and you've got your idea act and things like that. We are, we are, no, we are nowhere near that yet. Wow. I, I think I'm also going to put you in touch with one of our other past guests, uh, Dr. TC. Um, because her research is all about uh, academia and autistic people, you know, having an, uh, an accessible and accommodated university experience. So if you don't mind, I'll put you in touch with her as well. That's fine. Thank you. This is the networking. This is how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> the networking from the peer group just expands. <laughs> well, Daniel, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Um, really great conversation. I'm sorry I didn't come on earlier. I didn't get the chance to get to know you, uh, you and Kelly better, Doug. Well, well, we'll definitely give you that chance. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I still have a bit <laughs> of time. Right. If you want to talk, it's okay. I don't mind. Okay. Okay. So thanks for inviting both of you. <laughs>